Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Children of Dune Chapter 27 For a long time, Leto squatted at the Quanet's edge, listening to the restless hiss of sand within the canyon beyond. A small worm, by the sound of it, chosen for that reason, no doubt. A small worm would be easier to transport. He thought about the worm's capture. The hunters would dull it with the water mist using the traditional Fremen method of taking a worm for the orgy transformation rite. But this worm would not be killed by immersion. This one would go out on a gilt highliner to some hopeful buyer whose desert probably would be too moist. Few off-worlders realized the basic desiccation the sand trout had maintained on Arrakis had maintained because even here in the Tansruft there would be many times more airborne moisture than any worm had ever before known short of its death in a Fremen cistern he heard Saviha stirring in the hut behind him she was restless prodded by her own suppressed visions he wondered how it would be to live outside a vision with her, sharing each moment just as it came of itself. The thought attracted him far more strongly than had any spice vision. There was a certain cleanliness about facing an unknown future. A kiss in the siege is worth two in the city. The old Fremen Maxim said it all. The traditional siege had held a recognizable wildness mingled with shyness. There were traces of that shyness in the people of Jakarutu Shulak, but only traces. This saddened him by revealing what had been lost. Slowly, so slowly, that the knowledge was fully upon him before he recognized its beginnings. Leto grew aware of the soft rustling of many creatures all around him. Sand trout. Soon, it would be time to shift from one vision to another. He felt the movement of sand trout as a movement within himself. Fremen had lived with the strange creatures for generations, knowing that if you risked a bit of water as bait, you could lure them into reach. Many a Fremen dying of thirst had risked his last few drops of water in this gamble, knowing that the sweet green syrup teased from a sand trout might yield a small profit in energy. But the sand trout were mostly the game of children, who caught them for the Hanwi and for play. Leto shuddered at the thought of what that play meant to him now. 
he felt one of the creatures slither across his bare foot. It hesitated, then went on, attracted by the greater amount of water in the quanet. For a moment, though, he'd felt the reality of his terrible decision. The sand trout glove. It was the play of children. If one held a sand trout in the hand, smoothing it over your skin, it formed a living glove. Traces of blood in the skin's capillaries could be sensed by the creatures, but something mingled with the blood's water about them. Sooner or later, the glove would slip off into the sand, there to be lifted into a spice fiber basket. The spice soothed them until they were dumped into the death still. He could hear sand trout dropping into the quanet, the swirl of predators eating them. Water softened the sand trout, made it pliable. Children learned this early. A bit of saliva teased out the sweet syrup. Leto listened to the splashing. This was a migration of sand trout come up to the open water, but they could not contain a flowing quanta patrolled by predator fish. Still, they came. Still, they splashed. Leto groped on the sand with his right hand until his fingers encountered the leathery skin of a sand trout. It was the large one he had expected. The creature didn't try to evade him, but moved eagerly onto his flesh. He explored its outline with his free hand, roughly diamond-shaped. It had no head, no extremities, no eyes, yet it could find water unerringly. With its fellows, it could join body to body, flecking one on another by the coarse interlacings of extruded cilia till the whole became one large sac organism enclosing the water, walling off the poison from the giant which the sand trout would become, Shai Halud. The sand trout squirmed on his hand, elongating, stretching. As it moved, he felt the counterpart elongating and stretching of the vision he had chosen. This thread, not that one. He felt the sand trout becoming thin, covering more and more of his hand. No sand trout had ever before encountered a hand such as this one. Every cell supersaturated with spice. No other human had ever before lived and reasoned in such a condition. Delicately, they'd have adjusted his enzyme balance, drawing on the illuminated sureness he'd gained in spice trance. The knowledge from those uncounted lifetimes which blended themselves within him provided the certainty through which he chose the precise adjustments slaving off the death from an overdose which would engulf him 
if he relaxed his watchfulness for only a heartbeat. And at the same time, he blended himself with the sand trout, feeding on it, feeding it, learning it. His trance vision provided the template, and he followed it precisely. Leto felt the sand trout grow thin, spreading itself over more and more of his hand, reaching up his arm. He located another, placed it over the first one. Contact ignited a frenzied squirming in the creatures. Their cilia locked, and they became a single membrane, which enclosed him to the elbow. The sand trout adjusted to the living glove of a childhood play, but thinner and more sensitive as he lured it into the role of a skin symbiote. He reached down with the living glove felt sand, each grain distinct to his senses. This was no longer sand trout. It was tougher, stronger, and it would grow stronger and stronger. His groping hand encountered another sand trout, which whipped itself into union with the first two and adapted itself to the new role. Leathery softness insinuated itself up his arm to his shoulder. With a terrible singleness of concentration, he achieved the union of his new skin with his body, preventing rejection. No corner of his attention was left to dwell upon the terrifying consequences of what he did here. Only the necessities of his transvision mattered. Only the golden path could come from this ordeal. Leto shed his robe and lay naked upon the sand. His gloved arm outstretched into the path of migrating sand trout. He remembered that once he and Ganima had caught a sand trout and braided it against the sand until it contracted into the child worm, a stiff tube, its interior pregnant with the green syrup one bit gently upon the end, and sucked swiftly before the wound was healed, gaining the few drops of sweetness. They were all over his body now. He could feel the pulse of his blood against the living membrane. One tried to cover his face, but he moved it roughly until it elongated into a thin roll. The thing grew much longer than the child worm remaining flexible. Leto bit the end of it, tasted a thin stream of sweetness, which continued far longer than any Fremen had ever before experienced. He could feel energy from the sweetness flow through him. A curious excitement suffused his body. He was kept busy for a time rolling the membrane away from his face, until he'd built up a stiff ridge circling from jaw to forehead and leaving his ears exposed. Now 
The vision must be tested. He got to his feet, turned to run back toward the hut, and, as he moved, found his feet moving too fast for him to balance. He plunged into the sand, rolled, and leaped to his feet. The leap took him two meters off the sand, and, when he fell back, trying to walk, he again moved too fast. Stop, he commanded himself. He fell into the Pranabindu forced relaxation, gathering his senses into the pool of consciousness. This focused the inward ripples of the constant now through which he experienced time, and he allowed the visionalization to warm him. The membrane worked precisely as the vision had predicted. My skin is not my own. But his muscles took some training to live with this amplified movement. When he walked, he fell, rolling. Presently he sat. In the quiet, the ridge below his jaw tried to become a membrane covering his mouth. He spat against it and bit, tasting the sweet syrup. It rolled down to the pressure of his hand. Enough time had passed to form the union with his body. Leto stretched flat and turned onto his face. He began to crawl, rasping the membrane against the sand. He could feel the sand distinctly. Nothing abraded his own flesh. With only a few swimming movements, he traversed fifty meters of sand. The physical reaction was a friction-induced warming sensation. The membrane no longer tried to cover his nose and mouth, but now he faced the second major step onto his golden path. His exertions had taken him beyond the quanet into the canyon where the trapped worm stayed. He heard it hissing toward him, Attracted by his movements, Leto leaped to his feet, intending to stand and wait, but the amplified movement sent him sprawling twenty meters farther into the canyon. Controlling his reactions with terrible effort, he sat back onto his haunches, straightened. Now, the sand began to swell directly in front of him rising up in a monstrous starlit curve. Sand opened, only two bar lengths from him. Crystal teeth flashed in the dim light. He saw the yawning mouth cavern, with far back, the ambient movement of dim flame. The overpowering redolence of the spy swept over him. The worm had stopped. He remained in front of him, his first moon lifted over the butte. The light reflected off the worm's teeth, outlining the fairy glow of chemical fires deep within the creature. So deep was the inbred fremen fear that Leto found himself torn by a desire to flee. But his vision held him motionless, fascinated by this prolonged movement. No one had ever before stood this close the mouth of a living worm and survived.
Leto moved his right foot, met a sand ridge, and, reacting too quickly, was propelled toward the worm's mouth. He came to a stop on his knees. Still, the worm did not move. It sensed only the sand trout would not attack the deep sand vector of its own kind. The worm would attack another worm in its territory and would come to exposed spice. Only a water barrier stopped it, and sand trout, encapsulating water, were a water barrier. Experimentally, Leto moved a hand toward that awesome mouth. The worm drew back a full meter. Confidence restored, Leto turned away from the worm and began teaching his muscles to live with their new power. Cautiously, he walked back toward the quanet. The worm remained motionless behind him. When Leto was beyond the worm barrier, he leaped with joy, went sailing ten meters across the sand, sprawled, rolled, laughed, <laughs> Light flared on the sand as the hut's door seal was breached. Zabiha stood outlined in the yellow and purple glow of the lamp, staring at him. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing, Lido ran back across the quanet, stopped in front of the worm, turned, and faced her with his arms outstretched. Look! He called. The worm does my bidding. And she stood in frozen shock. He whirled, went racing around the worm and into the canyon. Gaining experience with his new skin, he found he could run with only the lightest flexing of muscles. He was almost effortless. When he put effort into running, he raced over the sand with the wind burning the exposed circle of his face. At the canyon's dead end, instead of stopping, he leaped up a full 15 meters, clawed at the cliff, scrambled, climbing like an insect, and came out on the crest above the Tanzarooft. The desert stretched before him, a vast silvery undulance in the moonlight, Leto's manic exhilaration receded. He squatted, sensing how light his body felt. Exertion had produced a slick film of perspiration, which his still suit would have absorbed and routed into the transfer tissue, which removed the salts. Even as he relaxed, the film disappeared now, absorbed by the membrane faster than a still suit could have done it. Thoughtfully, Leto rolled out a length of the membrane beneath his lips, pulled it into his mouth, drank the sweetness. His mouth was not masked, though. Feminine-wise, he sensed his body's moisture being wasted with every breath. Leto brought a section of the membrane over his mouth, rolled it back when it tried to steal his nostrils, kept at this until the rolled barrier remained in place. In the desert way, he fell into the automatic breathing pattern, 
in through his nose, out through his mouth. The membrane over his mouth protruded in a small bubble, but remained in place. No moisture collected on his lips, and his nostrils remained open. The adaptation proceeded then. The thopter flew between Leto and the moon, banked, and came in for a spread wing landing on the butte perhaps a hundred meters to his left. Leto glanced at it, turned, and looked back the way he had come up the canyon. Many lights could be seen down there beyond the quanet, a stirring of a multitude. He heard faint outcries, sensed hysteria in the sounds. Two men approached him from the thopter. Moonlight glinted on their weapons. The Mashad, Leto thought, and it was a sad thought. Here was the great leap onto the golden path. He had put on the living, self-repairing still suit of a sand trout membrane, a thing of unmeasurable value on Arrakis, until you understood the price. I'm no longer human. The legends about this night will grow and magnify it beyond anything recognizable by the participants. But it will become truth. That legend. He peered down from the butte. Estimated the desert floor lay 200 meters below. The moon picked out ledges and cracks on the steep face but no connecting pathway. Leto stood, inhaled a deep breath, glanced back at the approaching men, then stepped to the cliff's edge and launched himself into space. Some thirty meters down, his flexed legs encountered a narrow ledge. Amplified muscles absorbed the shock, rebounded in a leap sideways to another ledge, where he caught a narrow outcropping with his hands, dropped twenty meters, leaped to another handhold, and once more went down bouncing, leaping, grasping tiny ledges. He took the final forty meters in one jump, landed in a bent knee roll, which sent him plunging down the slip face of a dune in a shower of sand and dust. At the bottom, he scrambled to his feet, launched himself to the next dune crest, and went jump. He could hear hoarse shouts from atop the cliff, but ignored them to concentrate on the leaping strides from dune top to dune top. grew more accustomed to amplified muscles, he found a sensuous joy that he had not anticipated in this distance gulping movement. It was a ballet on the desert, defiance of the Tanzruft, which no other had ever experienced. When he judged that the Ornthopter's occupants had overcome their shock enough to mount pursuit once more, he dove the moon-shadowed face of a dune 
burrowed into it. The sand was like heavy liquid to his new strength, but the temperature mounted dangerously when he moved too fast. He broke free on the far face of the dune, found that the membrane had covered his nostrils. He removed it, since the new skin pulsing over his body in its labor to absorb his perspiration. Leto fashioned a tube at his mouth, drank the syrup while he peered upward at the starry sky. He estimated he had come 15 kilometers from Shulak. Presently, a thopter drew its pattern across the stars, a great bird shape followed by another and another. He heard the soft swishing of their wings, the whisper of their muted jets. Sipping at the living tube, he waited. First moon passed through its trap, then second moon. An hour before dawn, Leto crept out and up the dune crest, examined the sky, no hunters. Now he knew himself to be embarked upon a path of no return. Ahead lay the trap in time and space, which had been prepared as an unforgettable lesson for himself and all of mankind. Leto turned northeast and loped another 50 kilometers before burrowing into the sand for the day, leaving only a tiny hole to the surface, which he kept open with a sand trout tube. The membrane was learning how to live with him as he learned how to live with it. He tried not to think of the other things he was doing to his flesh. Tomorrow I'll raid Garurulin, he thought. I'll smash their quanet and loose its water into the sand. Then I'll go on to Winsack, Old Gap, Hark. In a month, the ecological transformation will have been set back a full generation. That'll give us space to develop the new timetable. And the wildness of the rebel tribes would be blamed, of course. Some would revive memories of Jokorutu. Alia would have her hands full. As for Ganima, silently to himself, Leto mouthed the words which would restore her memory. Time for that later. If they survived this terrible mixing of threads, the golden path lured him out there on the desert, almost a physical thing which he could see with his open eyes. He thought how it was, as animals must move across the land their existence dependent upon that movement, the soul of humankind, blocked for eons, needed a track upon which it could move. He thought of his father then, telling himself, soon we'll dispute as man to man, and only one vision will emerge. listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.